Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Niall or Nine podcast. Uh, this is Niall here and you're very welcome along to this week's episode. Um, no Andrea this week. Uh, I'm going solo. Um, she's off having a leisurely time. And um, so yeah, this week's episode is going to be a special long form interview with uh, Kevin Smith, aka Kojak. The man of the moment who just released his album, Town's Dead, a long-awaited album. And it turns out this album from the Kappa rapper and producer has been six years in the making. And uh, it's an album themed on New Year's Eve and uh, a bunch of friends hanging out and uh, disappearing from each other and coming back together and looking for each other. And all that encompasses in that and the experience of the main character him. It's follow up to Delhi Daydreams, which was the debut mixtape from Kojak, which uh, got was a choice prize nominated and it was about twenty five minutes long. This one is like nearly an hour. Town's Dead is an hour long, and uh, <clears throat> really great album. We got loads of things in there. As you hear in the coming interview, you, we will discuss the the samples on the record. So the likes of the samples from Maria Somerville. Uh, Devandra Banhart in there as well um, like Girl Band of course the big one for the title track Town's Dead we talk about that we also talk about rapping in your own accent and um, what that means in terms of Irish accents obviously it's a it's a conversation that's ongoing for a long time also talking about his visuals Kev is a keen video director and a visuals guy and very much a huge part of his early work from Midnight Flower where he Holds his breath underwater, um, all the way up to Town's Dead, the most latest video full of special effects. So we'll talk about both of those videos as well here, as well as the Backroom Boys and uh, people like Keen Kavanagh, his close collaborator who works with him, and Softboy Records, the label that they started. So lots to discuss. Literally, this is our first time having a long form chat. Uh, so it's been long coming and uh, delighted to get to chat to Kev. He's a lovely fella. And uh, a sound bloke. And uh, and before I pass you over to Kev and myself having a chat, 
do not forget, Nyler9 um, is a reader-supported model, basically. So if you want to, if you like what you're hearing here and you like what we do on the website, it is patreon.com forward slash Nyler9. Your support is uh, much appreciated from a five or a month. Um, that gives you access to weekly playlists and uh, our Discord community and all sorts of things. So the main thing is that by doing that, you help keep us in the running and keep us doing what we're doing. And uh, we want to keep doing it for a long, long time. So, um, yeah, doing it 15 years already. We'd like to be doing it a lot longer. So let's uh, let's pass you over now to myself and Kev having a chat. Who am I going to blame but me? It's always trouble when someone's wicked as ours me. And I'll struggle to work and trick it as currency. When you think it what are we? I'm present but hardly. I'm fit to pull the trigger on fire See, it's always trouble when tunes wicked as eyes me And I'll struggle to work the trick of this currency What you thinking what I are we? I'm present but hiding Cause I'm fit to pull the trigger on fire See, it's always trouble when tunes wicked as eyes me And I'll struggle to work the trick of this currency You thinking what I are we? I'm present but hiding Cause I'm fit to pull the trigger on fire See, it's always trouble when tunes wicked as eyes me no struggle to work the trick of this currency I'm thinking what are we, your present or highly See I don't think that you're the type that's gonna marry me And it's always trouble when souls will be So, Kojak, how are you feeling? I feel great, man. Yeah. I feel really good. Good. Good to chat to you. So, the album officially dropped last Friday. Finally. A long time in the in the making. But yeah, I just want to get a read on how you're feeling now, because, you know, it's nice to have that out, right? I mean, you've been looking forward to that for so long. But to have Towns Dead actually out in the world on vinyl, I can see it. Is there a copy behind you there in the head? Yep. You? Yeah, I got I got both copies there, plugging it at all times. Yeah, it's the not? deluxe and the regular version. <laughs> um feels great, man. It's yeah, nice to not have to talk about the album in the abstract and just have people be able to sit down and listen to it. Because I mean, yeah. It feels like a long time coming, especially with the concept that I've had in my head for this long and yeah. It's nice, nice yeah. to have it out. So you kind of, I mean, this has been something that's been in your head and, and you've been working on for a number of years, right? Yeah, I mean, you've been to a good few of the shows. I just, you yeah. know, um, and you'll recognize some of the songs from it from kind of, you know, three, four years ago even. Yeah. So, yeah, like the concept kind of came around, you know, as early as when I was kind of like 18 or 19, but I've been working on it kind of solidly for the last two years. Yeah, uh, and proper just because you know it's all well and good to be like oh, I have this beautiful concept album in my head and if it's not recorded and produced then it's it's not finished and it's it's not presentable to anybody so yeah so I mean is that hard then to get to the point where you're like 
uh, well, I've been working on this for so long. I kind of do you did you lose did you lose yourself in the woods like um, of the album? Like, did you we always have? How do you keep that vision of what you wanted ultimately at the end of it? Um, after you know, if when you're working on something for so long, you like is there there temptation then to to change things and then go back and then like oh I'm not happy with this like how do you focus on that how do you keep that uh, set there was there was a lot of changes in the process and the story wasn't really um solid if you know what I mean up until about really up until mixing uh I had a general idea and I remember I wrote out the outline of the kind of the story almost front to back like uh mm. chronologically so that i kind of had an idea of you know how it evolved and and the characters and stuff and that was helpful in terms of writing some of the other songs because kind of what i did with it was like i had a couple old tunes like uh black sheep part one and jinty boy and curtains and a couple of different others that had a real solid narrative and even would place it in a time span as well you know kind of like around new year's eve so i'd park them off to one side and kind of thought like yeah this is these are the bones of the story if there's any songs that i write in the future that fit with this story well then that'll be part of the album if it doesn't fit within the story or the narrative well then that'll come out as you know deadly daydreams or green diesel like so that was kind of tough, parking off songs that I thought were really good for that long. Mm, but mm. Uh, I don't know, it's like that delayed gratification. I don't like, um, I quite like working on larger bodies of, of work. Obviously, this is the longest thing that I've worked on. It was a very different process because it's an hour long. But uh, yeah, so it was tough. But, you know, it kind of came together in the end when, when that's when you can really see the, the wood from the trees or whatever. Yeah, do you think that like is the did the reaction to Daily Dreams Daydreams as well being somewhat of a conceptual piece itself, well loose conceptual piece, is that like informed the idea that this has a narrative around it as well, or is it something you already had in your head? It was almost it was kind of like the reverse in a certain sense. I knew I wanted to do like a concept album. And then when I was making Daily Daydreams, it kind of started off more as like a EP that I was thinking of and just took on legs because I was working on it so much and got really into it then and it was almost like a blueprint for what I wanted to do if you know what I mean but on a at a smaller scale so yeah and then that kind of took off and so it got kind of hard to work on the album because there's so much tour and then different press and uh yeah yeah like you, <laughs> do you miss do you miss that <laughs> do you miss that <laughs> Do miss, I do, do you yeah. miss being out in the world yeah but I mean like uh, I'd say give me 10 minutes back tour and I'll, I'll be complaining about that you know what I mean yeah, it's yeah, always yeah. like uh, greener pastures that sort of thing yeah but um yeah I I do man I mean it's busy but so is this like so is releasing an album you gotta do a lot of interviews and um yeah social life down the drain but that's that's all right I'll take that concession so I'll uh yeah, I'm just really enjoying having it out and seeing people's reactions and that sort of thing. Slowly losing touch of reality, waking up, trying to clutch to a memory, actually. You're like a dream I can't shake for the life of me. Every night you arrive in my mind to tackle me. 
We jive on the rings of Saturn My heartstrings play the sonnet to my wristwatch shatter Become one, elevate beyond beings of matter So when I think about Kojak first I'm thinking about like seeing Midnight Flowers and uh, Midnight Flower and uh, way back You know, like you've been doing this a fair amount of time And it's almost like it's very rare to watch somebody grow But for yourself like from my perspective anyway, I mean, you always seem to have a vision about what you wanted. You always seem to have, you know, even look, look at the video for, for Midnight Flower and how that worked. And, you know, it was a, it was a concept that was, uh, you know, that people were talking about as well. So like you clearly put a lot of thought behind what you're putting out there and that's super important. So like, I think a lot of the people that I was looking at, I was maybe like a little naive, um, especially kind of growing up and getting so into like, you know, the likes of Odd Future and a couple of different other artists that I saw, I not like online producing these, producing this like music and a lot of them seemed, you know, independent and that's kind of how it was branded in a lot of senses. I wouldn't have known that, you know, like say even like the Yonkers video, let's say, uh thought that was amazing i went back and i would listen to like bastard and i listened to goblin and stuff when that was out i was like whoa and this dude is doing it all himself you know and he's like recording this and producing it all himself and doing the videos himself i didn't realize they had a big team of people working behind them and you know like goblin came out with sony and i didn't understand that there was so many different pieces to that puzzle so i was uh, i had a very high standard for what i thought i could do and so um i think out of like naivety and with the first videos and stuff like i didn't want to put anything out unless i thought it was really good so you know um even with the midnight flower thing you know i guess that was a concept that i kind of had in my mind and then it kind of felt like a compulsion like something that i had to do because so many people were telling me that it couldn't be done <laughs> and not to do it um and which is fair enough they're just looking out for safety but uh yeah you know and then obviously that takes off and then you're in a whole different uh mindset because you have to follow that up and that's that can be very scary as kind of like a 19 20 year old who's recording everything in his wardrobe so um yeah it was a weird place to be put in but uh felt felt so strange just because it was it had taken off so much but at the same time I, I had so much still to learn, you know what I mean? And kind of felt um, felt very impossible at the time. Well, you speak about like building a team around you, you like then you talk about Salt Boy Records because that's like, um, you know, that's your label and that's like, so you set that up. What was the, what was the impetus for that specifically? I think we launched in November 2015. And Midnight Flower would have been May 2015. Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That I mean, to be honest, we were looking at venues and and we wanted to book shows, and we wanted something that looked legit. So we're like, you know, I was chatting with Keen. He he wanted to put like make a record label. I was like, yeah, that's a sick idea, and we're kind of use it like as a pseudo label. That was our idea going into it, like. The music has to come out anyway, so why not just make a record label name up and and put the music out that way? And uh, and when we can like talk to all these different venues, you can be like, oh, this is 
this is Susan from Softboy Records and we've yeah. got a, you know, somebody that we think is really great and you should book them for a show. And so it was just the means by which that we could like legitimize ourselves through something as simple as setting up a Facebook page. You know what I mean? Um, and from that, people just kind of started coming into the orbit like Gaptooth and, um, you know, like Henry Ernest and Jar Jar and Matt Finnegan and loads of different people and Wastefellow. Um, and they're, they're all like really good musicians and, for one reason or another we're all like self-taught and like bedroom producing and stuff and so learn so much from them as well and just from putting stuff out and working on other people's projects you kind of learn how to do your own a little better too which was sick like it was just them the whole thing was really good like learning curve as well as um getting to meet some sick musicians so yeah yeah, that's it. Like, and the other thing was like, yeah, sorry, no, but the other thing was like, uh, I had no manager up until about, I think, three years ago or something. So, like, also self-managing and I wasn't sending any music to labels or anything like that. So no labels were getting in touch or anything. So it's kind of like, what is going on? Like, where is this? When's when's it all going to change? Like, I kind of thought, you know, in a minute that video got went viral, it was like, you'd get some million dollar deal at least I could maybe turn down and some sort of cool <laughs> some sort of like cool gesture but no not at all so yeah that's the label also came by necessity yeah but then you know um what came afterwards in terms of where you're at now like independence has always seems very important to you so you know you must have been approached by some some labels for deals and stuff like that like so you must know in advance of what you want to get out of it and what you are looking for and maybe what they can't give you. So you've kept it mainly independent, right? Yeah. Um, like after Deadly Daydreams, you got a lot of interest and that was, that came out independently, fully independently, you know, recorded in my wardrobe and I mixed the album and I got it mastered by a fellow called uh, Richard Mastering or something, dot com. Um, and... Yeah, we got a lot of interest after that. And I've, you know, done a couple of different meetings with like XL and, um, yeah, some different record labels. But I, f I found it, um, I knew what I wanted going in, you know, and in terms of the creative side of stuff, I knew I didn't want to sign with anybody that was interested in A&R'ing &E, the record too heavily and, uh, you know, or, or trying to put me in like, uh you know sessions with other artists or cosigns and stuff like that and because i knew what i wanted to make you know what i mean I, I just had the vision and if anything i was just looking for backing and so um yeah we ended up doing a deal with uh ps which i was really happy with because it was like they were uh yeah we agreed that it would be like soft boy records with exclusive distribution to ps and they were really good because they kind of allowed me, you know, they, they gave me an advance which covered all the costs of the record, which were more than others because there's it's mixing 16 tracks and it's mixing them properly, like not just me in my bedroom trying to mix it and even like getting the string section um, and having the money to pay for that and a bit of money to pay for videos and stuff. But when it came to the creative side, they were... Um, they were 
like confident in me to deliver that. So when it came to the videos, I was still able to kind of co-direct and um, I just delivered them the record. Like I, I just gave them the record and they were like, yeah, sweet. We like it. And I was like, unreal. This is sick. Don't have to change anything. This is just like what I had in my head. So, uh, yeah, I think it was just the logical next step. Because I think you hear, like, because it's still independent, you know what I mean? Still um, still recorded in my wardrobe and stuff. And I think you do hear horror stories about labels and 360 deals. and Yeah, there was one today being... from the artist Ray. Uh, I mean, she put something there on her Instagram yesterday saying that her uh, the label won't let her make an album. And she's been on their roster since 2014. She literally told yeah. her last single, her newest single, if it does well, then she can make an album. And she's she's calling them out finally because she's like, I've been doing, I've been on their label since 2014. Like, what is going on? She's got, you know, 22 million streams on Spotify or whatever. And you're like, that is an extreme example of, and I'm sure it actually happens. Well, I'm sure it happens a fair bit. Like, I'm sure, you know, signing with a major is such a, it's such a, a risky game as well. Because if you do know what you want and you know what your vision is as, as yourself, you clearly do then you know what you want out of it. And that's what mostly they're offering you is money. They're offering you things that they can, you know, get in return. Uh, but the money is the main thing at the moment because especially now the last couple of years, obviously with COVID, not that much money going around for artists. So that makes it more difficult. So if somebody comes at you with with a, with a you know, a good uh, chunk of money, you're like, hmm, maybe I will go for that, you know? And that's how they yeah. get you. <laughs> yeah, of course, you know. Also just... There are good labels out there. There are bad labels out there, like like everything. And I've done like a lot of meetings in the past, um, where you just meet with these different kind of music industry people. And I would stress the industry because you talk to them, you're like, you don't like music. You know what I mean? I can tell from a fucking mile away. You're not interested in music. You know what I mean? You're interested in the artists that you have that have gained you revenue, and that's kind of it. Um, and the the teams and the the kind of rollouts and stuff and i understand it's important and i'm i'm very much willing to play the game in that sense uh because you know i'm looking at this music like it's my child like this is and i wanted to do well you know what i mean i'm real proud of it and stuff but like there's just people that just don't have passion for art and music and i'm just kind of like it boggles my mind i'm like when did you get into this you know because it just seems so like I could like I was doing meetings with people and I couldn't imagine them actually listening to music. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like that's insane. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Cause I love it. Like I'm I'm kinda like I could wax lyrical about music and different albums that I love like all day, you know what I mean? And, well we're gonna do that now in a minute. So you because you picked yeah. you picked a few oh, yeah. you picked a few songs for us. Um yeah, and dude, yeah. kind of uh, by way of introduction to your musical world as well. Um so We'll start with the first track you picked, which is uh, Kendrick Lamar, um, song from Good Kid, Mad City. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Shireen from Kendrick Lamar. We play. I met her at this house party on El Segundo in Central. She had the credentials of strippers in Atlanta. Ass came with a hump from the jump. She was a camel. I want to ride like Arabians, pushing no for Mercedes Benz. Hello, my name is Kendrick. She said, no, you're handsome. Whispered in my ear, disappeared, then found her dancing. Sierra had played in the background The parade music we made had us all wearing shades Now cool, where you stay? She said down the street from Dominguez High Okay, I know that's borderline Compton or Paramount 
well as a Compton No, she replied to quickly start batting her eyes I strictly had one of her thighs around me Seventeen with nothing but pussy stuck on my mental My motive was rather sinful, what you trying to get into? She didn't tell, just gave me her next tail Dropped the number, we chirped the whole summer And well, the summer had passed and now I'm liking her Conversation we having probably enticing her Who can imagine maybe my actions will end up wifing her Love or lust, regardless what fuck cause the trife in us It's deep-rooted, the music of being young and dumb It's never muted, in fact it's much louder where I'm from We know a lot about each other, her mother was a crack addict She lived with her granny and her younger two brothers Her favorite cousin Demetrius is a reputable Family history of game banging did make me skeptical But not enough to stop me from getting a nut I wanna come over, what's up? That's what I told her soon as this episode A Martin go off, I'm trying to get off I was a heat like a cactus, my tactics up being thirsty probably could hurt me, but fuck it, I got some heart. Grab my mama keys, hopped in the car, then the old bar. So now I'm down Rosecrans in the caravan. Passing out. Okay, that was a bit of Shireen, aka Master Splinter's daughter from Kendrick Jamar's album Good Kid Mad City. Obviously, Kendrick is uh, an all-timer. And uh but why you pick this song in particular, what what is it about this song that you uh you vibe with in particular? I remember kind of um this tune in particular being a real, I don't know, like a watershed moment for me in terms of like writing and uh, and artistry. And especially when it came to kind of like concept albums. Because at the time I would have been like first year of college, I think. And I kind of branched out a bit. I was listening to a lot of MF Doom and was writing a bit more and listening to like loads of Biggie and that sort of thing. But I remember coming across this song just being like, like how is he making the beat sound that good and he's he's rhyming over it so smooth and the whole time he's telling a story and it leaves you on that cliff edge at the kind of end of the tune where you don't know if he's like alive or dead and that's how he starts the album and i'm like that's amazing like it was it blew my mind and so i think i i wrote uh black sheep part one very soon after that just listening to that beat and like writing over it and trying to make something that kind of sounded like a story that was in any way similar to that. Um, and I feel like you can hear that in Black Sheep Part 1, even like the cadence and the way it kind of rhymes over it and stuff. And when we went in to produce it, because we produced, for, like I had the song from years ago and it's had about three or four different beats, but I never got anything that was, because I was obsessed with that song so much, like I've watched breakdown videos of how they produced it and you know they produced it all on machine which is like software that i was using i was like they can do it on that then i can do it on this but i could never kind of get something that i thought gave the same feeling remember myself uh keen cavanan uh brienne peter bryan who's the two of them have production credits all over the album we were doing a studio session in it was rhythm sections in um bermondsey in london we had a couple different studios booked for like a week back in September, I think 2019. And we went in on that day and we're like, yeah, we're going to make a tune for Black Sheep Part 1. And at the time, I was obsessed with Maria Somerville's album, uh, All of My People. And there was that track, Undoing. And the way to... Uh, see, this is such a difficult... Uh, task give me only five songs to talk about but i understand why you know because honestly like, <laughs> the amount of references and different stuff that i was coming up with it took me so long to yeah to we could like be here for ages but, uh 
Undoing by Maria Somerville. I remember listening to that and when the vocals came in to start, it's so haunting and you know, I was absolutely drenched in reverb and I was like, kind of reminds me of that vocal at the start of Shireen and uh, just gave me such yeah. a kind of like weird, like spooky buzz and stuff and that's the kind of atmosphere that I want to create with Black Sheep Part 1. So we went in and we're like, all right, this is the task today. We've got Undoing and I want to make something that's kind of like Shireen. And then we like made the beat then and there that day and like got it all done and laid like a scratch vocal over it and stuff. And eventually got Ryan Hargan in to do the saxophone on top and he did a little bit of piano as well. Ryan's a, Ryan is a savant when it comes to music. Like it's actually insane. Yeah. So I always thought I knew him as a saxophone player. And uh, one day we were recording the house and he sat down at the piano and started playing. I was like, you play piano as well? He's like, yeah, piano is my first instrument. I'm actually prefer it and i was like what like this is insane you're better on piano than sax anyway listen ranting and raving here but yeah no that's good will we play a bit of the maria somerville song here and oh just yeah yeah do because it is like the way it went yeah. ended up being mixed as well it's kind of buried down a little bit but um yeah it's the it's really that's the meat and bones of the song really that's kind of the starting point okay. So that was Maria Somerville undoing, and uh, this is Black Sheep Part One from Kojak's Town of Dead. Six deep in the craving of a tree, my phone beeps, I hit green when it's sick and it's speed. He said, She poison, 25 be nice, that 25 the life. You can tell I was new with this ray. You know that bike alley be on the pike, I be chilling till after dark. You wanna come round the spike, cool. I lace my legs up, then I bolted, this a solid 15 to the gates. Be insulted if I don't puff like one of his mates. I don't wanna crush toes, I don't wanna be late. Rink by half the sun showing. I reach the green, see the whip with the blunt they glowing. And where there's smoke, there's fire. I hope I don't get spiked. I'm too drunk to sing a punch full of bullshit stairs. Mm. Trade glances, catch the hand action. Slip the gift of present into my palm and I'm dancing. Turn the lever, he pulls it a light. I wanna check it's alright. Couldn't tell my ass from my elbow. Fuck it, I'll try. So it's in there. Yeah, <laughs> and it is very down a little That's bit liked. in the mix, but you can hear it's kind of the first eight bars of uh, Maria's yeah. uh, vocal that we looped and kind of had in the background as this texture. Um, yeah, and I just, that was the starting point. 
And I, yeah, I love Maria's music. I'm always so impressed with it whenever I put it on. Um, so yeah. yeah, I was pumped that she let me sample it. <laughs> um, and you mentioned now, you mentioned one of my favorites there, uh, MF Doom. Um, he said you got into him around the time you were doing this. Um, the the all caps master is no longer with us. Um, I spent a lot of time earlier this year listening to him when when that news came out, and we did a podcast special about it. Talked to the Lex, the label, and just just struck by the depth of his wordplay, his production as well, especially because like that was the one thing that. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, MF Doom and how great of a rapper he was, but he's also a brilliant producer as well. Obviously, this song we're going to play is a madly production. So um, so let's play a bit of it first and then come back and ch- chat about it. This is uh, Fancy Clown from Mad Villainy, from Mad Villain, MF Doom and Madly. Whenever I phone, telling your brothers, MF Doom, talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that samples That Ain't The Way You Make Love by... Uh, oh, I can't remember who it was. But yeah, Mad Lib on the production. Is it ZZ Hill? Yeah. Yeah, ZZ Hill. That Ain't The Way You Make Love. But anyway, yeah, unbelievable song. I love it. And I mean, like, he's such an interesting artist and someone who I think is was pretty much solely interested in, in making music and, and kind of expanding his own little weird world and he had so many different uh alter egos and stuff which i thought was really interesting like uh th- yeah the whole so he's got like the victor vaughn and mf doom and king Geeter. yeah king Geeter. yeah that whole like uh that tune being from the perspective of victor vaughn who's been whose girl has been cheating on him with mf doom which is just like i just thought that was real <laughs> funny that always tickled me but uh, yeah, and some of the lines on that and stuff, I, I remember just being like trying to write something that sounded like that when I was doing like uh, Jinty Boy and stuff. And yeah, I think around the time I was mad into sampling, <clears throat> it was just like hours and hours on uh, on YouTube rabbit holes just trying to find good samples and stuff. I think that's actually where I found a lot of the stuff from the album. It still is like YouTube rabbit yeah. holes and all these like beautiful little gems there's a fella called jazzman dean who i used to be subscribed to i think he's been taken down since and you know all these guys who for whatever reason they just are music lovers but they upload all their old vinyls 
you know, with perfect yeah. like three twenty rips and stuff and so I'd get like weird samples from that. But I think even with Doom, uh he'd sample really kind of left of field stuff and I found that quite interesting. Like even with Jinty Boy, that's like a Devander Banhart sample. Um yeah. that I would have came across on YouTube. It's the Ballad of Keenan Milton. Honestly, it's it's feels almost foreign to me. I don't know why I picked it, but and it's it's like the originals in a three four signature and stuff. So it was real hard to get it to play four four. Um, but yeah, you know, I yeah, Doom is it just you. yeah, it did. That's it, and uh, yeah, and it fit the mood properly and, and kind of just allowed me to, you know, explore that whole uh, yeah. song. You know, front to back. So, yeah, that's great. Uh, the uh, were you familiar with Vander Barnhart before, or was it just something that you through the YouTube always kind of fell into? I just liked the cover, and so I clicked it, and then I kind of listened to more of his music after that. It's super weird, like it's almost like art house music. Some of his stuff, yeah, um, yeah, Freak Folk is what it was called when he first was. Is that it, yeah, it was massively popular. Yeah, I remember like massive pitchfork artists back in the day. Like, God, we're talking like two thousand five, um, ish, mm. when I can't remember the name of the album now. Oh, Cripple Crow, yeah, that was a great album. Yeah, yeah, very strange mm. and kind of psychedelic and folky. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, like one of those like things you just found somewhere. Uh, like out, out in the forest or something you're yeah. like what the fuck is this album it was, you bring it home you're like this is mad it was an absolute nightmare to get it to get it cleared as well i also forgot that that's a big reason why it took so long to get the album done is because i had loads of samples that i wanted to clear and i had absolutely no idea how to do it and so right i was like pouring over these songs and i was like i didn't want to put them up and you know get them on spotify and just to have them flagged and taken down especially something i've spent so much time working on so um, yeah, so you had help with that? Yeah, PS were really good with uh, clearing that and Sony as well. Sony uh, doing my publishing. So they were really good in terms of like helping to, to clear all the songs and stuff. And it's such a such a strange process. 
Yeah, it is. And there's no guarantee, obviously, that somebody's going to say, yeah. And, you know, you just don't know. And then they're going to look for, like, how much of the, the publishing and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah, it's just a bit of a minefield when you get down to it. You're like, you know, and I think I've been thinking a lot about this this week because just even, like, anecdotally saying stuff like that pop artist Olivia Rodrigo um, and Elvis Costello being compared, one of their to one of their horse songs being compared to him. And he just came out and he, he I, I loved what he said. He just said... um. All artists are built on what comes before them, and uh, you know it's you take the you take the broken pieces of another thrill and make it a brand new toy. Is what he said. So um, he understands that process, and I think there's so much of that. Is like the same with the for those I love record as well. Especially there's so many like deep samples in there that really give it a sense of something special. And um, because I think when sampling is best, can really do that. It can really it's like it can feel like a conversation with music that came before you as well as uh, something else. So hmm. it's something that um, I'm delighted um, that is finally like, you know, for a long time, like, like wearing a Beastie Boys t-shirt right now, Paul's Boutique is an amazing album. I don't think, I don't think they could make that now because of how many samples are on it yeah. and the clearances. But at the time, I'm so glad it exists and it wasn't deleted because somebody was like, oh, well, this isn't. Like there's Beatles samples and all sorts and that, and it's just like mental. Like, yeah. So I don't know how they manage it. Yeah, but uh, and yeah, yeah, one of my I'm, favorites, absolutely. I'm glad that you, uh, glad Elvis Costello came out and said that because it's yeah, I find it so arrogant sometimes with with different artists when they're talking about you know having their work kind of like lifted or or even like their work as inspiration for their songs and they're going you know you're a state of my music it's like what you mean man it's a bunch of chords you came up with like i get it but i remember seeing this article yesterday and i think it was like an old one i can't remember why i was going down this rabbit hole but it was on like pitchfork or something and and it was like marlon manson talking about uh sorry it was one of marlon manson's guitar players and he was um he had posted these two songs one is uh i think it's like godzilla uh i can't remember the name of the band but it was like two songs that like smells like teen spirit and uh, i can't remember the second one basically nirvana kind of like took inspiration from these two other bands and this dude's like uh oh, kirk cobain should burn in hell he's a song thief and all this stuff <laughs> i'm like shut up man what are you talking about sure what tainted love is a cover you know what i mean like what are you yeah, talking about yeah, yeah. song thief and I get it from like a perspective of huge artists lifting shit and not paying, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, you know, not giving publishing and stuff. And uh, and I get it from that perspective, but um, there's nothing original under the sun. You know what I mean? You can't yeah. kid yourself in that sense. Like everything is a reference to something in some way, shape or form, whether it's the chords you learn from somebody else. You know what I mean? That's how music is made. It's all yeah, just the proliferation of information. So... Yeah, yeah. Sampling's great, man. I love sampling, but it's uh, yeah. it can be a nightmare. All right. Well, then, in that case, we may talk about the biggest sample on the record, the most obvious one in terms of, and also the Irish, big Irish one on the record, uh, from Girl Band uh, going Norway, obviously, all the way through the title track, Town's Dead. Tell me about this and where this came about. And uh, yeah, obviously, you're a fan of Girl Band. They're mentioned a few times on the album as well, in the interludes. Yeah, yeah, they are. I wanted all the interludes to kind of reference uh, different parts of the the album and different kind of stories and um, that sort of thing. So, yeah, that um, I had the song, I had Towns Dead, and it was kind of more or less all recorded. Um, 
I'd done the vocal and everything, and I was still working on the beat. There was just certain points that I was kind of like, ah, I want the energy to be a bit more chaotic. Like, I want it to kind of sound a bit madder. And I remember saying to Keen one stage, I was like, I was thinking of sampling Girl Band and putting it on top. He was like, yeah, man, definitely. He was like, definitely do that. And I was like, okay, right. And I went through the talkies, and uh, I kind of had going Norway in my head, but I wasn't too sure what section. And just eventually found that little loop and was like, yeah, perfect. Like, that's that's brilliant because the way it's pitched, it nearly sounds like I could be singing it, you know, because of how it's pitched up and stuff. And yeah, just thought it like gives that perfect energy to open a song. As well as that, Garavan are just sick and Garavan are unreal. I saw them in Vicar Street. Um, yeah, kind of, it would have been probably three years ago now at this stage, but just blown away by the whole set and like the energy how much noise they can make with with the players that they have on stage um al is a fucking freak on that guitar yeah and even like their choices uh, musically especially at the live shows they were doing 20 second songs and stuff and i was just like yes that's some <laughs> that's some weird shit that i'm into um yeah. which yeah and the light shows and everything and Oh yeah, it's true. Uh, the last one, two, one of the last shows I was at was the Gerbam one in Baker Street, probably what December twenty nineteen. Yeah, incredible, like absolutely incredible. Um, there's something else. Um, okay, let's uh, let's hear a bit of Going Norway. Girl band, um, and here is the the bit at the start of uh, Town Steady. <laughs> And man, can I just say that song is just like so fucking good. Like, I'm sorry, but it keeps. I haven't got sick of this yet and I'm not going to get sick of it. And we were talking, Andrea, who can't be here, who's normally a co-host of the podcast. We, she texted me last week. And she was like, like, just how good is Town's Dead as a song? Like, and the album as well. But like, she was just like, God, I'm not sick of that song. We're just like, both of us are just like, yeah. But it's the energy as well, isn't it? It's, it's all that. And that's what I love about it so much. It's just like, it's the hype of it all. And lyrically uh, are all on point the sirens all that stuff man it's all like yeah you nailed that one <laughs> cheers thanks very much yeah so, i remember being man at the grimes as well at the time and i feel like some of some of that kind of weirdly influenced that tune and stuff but uh yeah i mean i the, i wasn't even sure if i was gonna do anything over that track or I, I really loved the energy, but it was so strange compared to a lot of the stuff I've done before and that sort of thing. And 
And we're going to send it over to Keen, just like a stupid little video. While I was making a beat. And he was like, yeah, man, that's fucking, that's banging. Like, I was like, yeah, fuck it is. And I had the opening lyrics written already. You know, I just got my head kicked in front of boy, a bit of smoke. Cause my face didn't look the way it should have when I paid him. So I remember one night I was going to bed and uh, the line just came into my head. And I remember being like, that would be a fucking good Fontaine's DC lyric. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, ah, you'll remember it in the morning. I was like, no, get up and write it. And so I got up and I wrote it down on a piece of scratch piece of paper or something. So I, I had it in my head really as like a Fontaine's DC song or something. I don't know what I was going to do with it. Maybe bring it to them or something if I finished it ever. But um, started like went through my notebook then. I kind of had that line to begin with. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of fucking cool. And uh, then from there, you know, I was leaving like drank 16 just to get the head straight, pull it straight. I think that kind of came from like Black Sheep, you know, and it kind of because I was like, you know what, this could work as an album song. So I kind of made the first verse kind of more in keeping with the narrative and stuff, and um, and this obviously the second verse is a lot more just just about, I guess, like Dublin, you know what I mean, and Cabra in particular. Yeah. And obviously, the- you've talked a bit about that because I mean, inevitably. You know, the album's called Town's Dead. You know, we're all feeling it now here at the moment. There's a lot of talk about, you know, the last few years have been a lot of talk about venues and cultural spaces and, and housing at the moment as well. So have you been, you're in London now, right? You moved back to do the album and then you moved back to London again, sorry? Yeah, I I was, you know, recorded the whole album in, in Dublin. I'm just living still in my mind's gaff and all. And um, yeah, recorded the whole thing through the lockdown more or less all the vocals and stuff and then when it came time to mix it which would have been october last year i was coming over to mix it with uh danny t he's a fucking legend man he's absolutely smashed it on the record he did a lot of additional production as well yeah and he's based over in tottenham that's where he's like he works out of so had four weeks put aside with like a sublet on a house to mix the record and halfway through, Danny got Corona, and then uh, that kind of delayed stuff over by a week. It's obviously it's a massive album, so it just took a lot longer to mix than I thought it would. And I found a house uh, that was like cheaper rent than I could find in Dublin. Is you know I really liked the housemates I was living with, so it's kind of just like you know what, everything's locked down anyway. Kind of makes as much sense to be here as it does in Dublin. So that was kind of the only reason why I moved really. Um, Came back for Christmas and filmed a couple of music videos. Ended up being back for like four months because everything got proper shut yeah. down. Um, but obviously, the album is so influenced by Dublin. And uh, that's kind of just everything I was seeing. Even like, um, I remember when I wrote the second verse, I was really just thinking about like, oh, Devaney Gardens in, in uh, Carberry that's been, they've, you know, it was initially council flats and they had moved everybody out of it um over the last i don't know 10 or 15 years in order to knock it with the promise of making affordable housing now the housing that they've built there on average i think is like about 350 400 grand to buy one you know what i mean so it's yeah. like all right affordable for who you know what i mean um yeah. so i remember that being just a big inspiration in terms of um 
that second verse you know what i mean because i just feel like that's exactly what the government is doing in so many different cases see yeah like i'm I, where i am here is on denora off denora avenue uh so Teresa's gardens and they've all been uh well half knocked in the last while and you know there's a big development going in there at the moment and there's talk of them doing co-living units and all this kind of stuff and you're like there's there's a community action group who are fighting it and doing what they can but you know the odds are so stacked against you because you have to to get a judicial review you have to put up 40 grand just to get that yeah and this is people this is people power you know and this is like you're seeing organizations like katu starting in dublin and the reason they start is because we can't get what we need from uh the people in power and most of the politicians are landlords that is just a fact and so therefore, like these community action groups like Katu and uh, whether it's a, a local WhatsApp group or people who meet otherwise who are fighting against this stuff. And then the grander stuff is about, you know, young people <laughs> who, you know, can't afford to buy a gaff, um, even though they're paying rent or their mortgage, a mortgage would be half the price of what their rent is, you know, all these things that don't make any sense to anyone. And but this is the way it is. And you've got you know you're stuck in a a rental environment and i just i hope that like you know even you know your lyrics there with you know towns not dead is just dormant that there is something that can happen so that you know we can get dublin to the point where it is more inclusive it is more um you know, it's like the the Mark. I don't know if you saw the Marco Halloran thing in the journal uh, a couple of weeks ago, but he was, you know, he's a, you know, uh, a well known film director and actor, and he was talking about how he's now in his fifties and he can't afford to buy a gaff still, even though he's been paying two grand a month for the last whatever it is. So, just like some of those things need to change big time, mm. <laughs> you know, and especially like, just you know, there's a couple of different spots in Dublin that I thought particularly were just like. There, it should have been blood in the streets kind of thing you know that's the kind of uproar i thought like when the bernard shaw closed down i thought that was really going to be the big one even like vicar street I, I you know what i mean i love the venue and stuff but that rock and roll hotel dear god because i play with uh 1815 magazine they do um soccer matches and i need a free pitches around dublin they're a great bunch of lads and one of the places they play is behind Vicar Street on Engine Alley, um, which is a free public park, and it's it's beside the Mead Street Flats and stuff. And the proposed, you know, rock and roll hotel that's going to go up there, it uh, takes that pitch and that becomes the hotel lobby somehow. You know what I mean? Even though that's right, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, even though that football pitch is there for the people on Mead Street. Um, to be playing as public land. So I don't really understand what deal was cut there in order for that to make sense. As well as that, it yeah. dwarfs the Mead Street Flats. It's it's going to be about, I, I think it's like, uh, anyway, it like blocks out the spire of Thomas Street um, Church and all. And there was actually, I don't know if you saw it, there was a, there was a rooftop fire on Vicar Street. I did see that, yeah. Um, I did see that. Yeah, I was very glad to hear no one was hurt or anything like that. But um, even yeah, the same. Like I'm at the Denor Avenue Community Centre went up in flames last week as well. You're like, what's going on around here? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty bizarre. mad. And then you know, si- similar situation. What's happened around here as well? Like there's a there's a pitch that's been there for years and it's currently closed up and uh, residents trying to get an answer for why it's closed. And councillors, one councillor in particular, was just like, we're not opening. Like no discussion. Yeah. You're just like. 
it's going to sit there for two years with nobody using it. Like, mm. why? <laughs> I don't understand it. These are exactly the kind of amenities that keeps people out of trouble and stops anti-social behavior. You know what I mean? It's not the opposite way around. Yeah. But a lot of people kind of view, like, you mean, it's like football pitches and stuff, especially around the inner city or working class areas. Like, oh, that's just where all the kind of like local kids go to loiter and, you know, cause anti-social behavior. It's not like that at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and especially when you kind of create those communities like 1850 Magazine or um, all the different guys that like even take back the night and that sort of thing. I think they're doing great stuff. And there Just is people, that's night, exactly, yeah, yeah. give us the night, sorry, yeah. There, There is great people doing great work and that's kind of exactly what aligns there. Town's not dead, it's just dormant. And I think yeah. when people wake up and come together as in solidarity, you can do a lot, like, and you can you can really take back the city, I think. Yeah. So that's kind of a lot where the song comes from, you know what I mean? It's just like looking around being like, I'm not going to let this just fall through our hands. You know what I mean, like the city's there and it's there and it's ours. Like, so yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of, you can All feel right. that undertone of anger there, but anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same with the, the, the venues and stuff. And we wait and see when things do eventually come back now, hopefully soon when venues start to reopen, hopefully that some aren't, you know, just gone. We don't know that yet, really. We don't know. We know a few things, but we don't know much about what we might be missing and what might, we might not have. And, you know, those spaces are so important. Um, and say, for example, one of the tracks you picked here is The Streets Blinded by the Lights song about um, being basically being in a club and uh, taking pills and, and uh, looking for your mates. Um, something that, you know, there's not many clubs left in Dublin at the moment and it's uh, it's an absolute worry and uh, something that really needs to happen. But OK, so let me sorry, I'm digressing. I'm, let's let's play a bit of uh, let's play a bit of Blinded by the Lights by the streets. The People keep pushing me though. No reception on the phone. And I'm thinking lights are blind in my eyes. They said they'd be here, they said. They said in the corner. And I'm thinking People pushing by. Then walking off into the night He's that well speckled A bit green and blue Freezes well cheap though So I'll take three if I need to Right, I'm on a plan I wish the bouncers would go away Borrow water off this man Here goes nothing, okay? And I'm thinking Lights are blinding my eyes Oh, that's proper rain That tastes like hairspray And I'm thinking People pushing by Walking off into the night I hate coming to the entrance Just to get bars on my phone You have no new messages So why haven't they phoned? Men, you write message So where are you and Simone? Send message Dan's number Where have they gone? And I'm thinking Lights are blind in my eyes Why's the message pending? Where the fuck are you? And I'm thinking People pushing by then walking off into the night mm, Brandy or beer, water's a good idea I wish that bar lady would appear and come serve over here Where the fuck could they be? Still not over in the corner This night's a tragedy I keep thinking I saw her And I'm thinking Lights are blinding my eyes No, that's not them as Blinded by the Lights by the Streets, obviously a very much a, a little story and conceptual piece itself um, about uh, looking for your mates, wait, and uh, dropping while while you're waiting for them, and then maybe seeing them in the distance. Apart from maybe like fit, but you know it. Um, 
this was the uh, one of the first tracks for the streets that really grabbed me and it was like whoa this is like a proper story and it really feels familiar and uh yeah he's he, i think he just had such a good way of kind of capturing moments like that and kind of like in a lot of senses as well across his album very mundane moments and stuff that you wouldn't think about you know what i mean like what's the oh, don't don't mug yourself sitting here at the wall table playing with the salt and all that shit you yeah, know what yeah. i mean it's just like all that the real mundanity of it was something that i really took a lot of inspiration from because i think uh it was so left field when it when it came out and um you know mike skinner said himself he's not really a rapper you know what i mean um and he yeah he just wanted to make stuff that sounded british you know replace like bitches and 40s with birds and and pints and all that stuff i yeah. think I remember him saying in, in an interview but yeah I, I just remember kind of being like well you know fuck it like a lot of people say that when it when it comes to like irish rap or something like that you know what i mean it's like oh irish rap is a bit of a gimmick or you know it's, it seems a bit strange or something it's like what is that it's nearly like a little like a buzzword or something i remember just thinking fuck it like so many people have done this before mike skinner everybody he's yeah. even compromising the sound you know what i mean he didn't even try to sound like uh you know american rapper anything like that and look how successful he's been and, and yeah. how important those albums were so it was a real spur for me i think especially when it came to like accent stuff and that sort of thing yeah because i mean i think now that that idea of accents are i mean for people who are paying attention is pretty much like that's over we're not talking about that anymore because maybe yeah in the past there was people who were trying to put on an accent and were not being themselves but there's plenty of people now who are you know not changing how they sound in order to to get out ahead or or like just are authentically doing it themselves and, and showing that voice as well did you struggle with that in the in in the beginning then like what was it then for you because i mean at the time probably when you were coming out then there was an element of that still there's an element of that like oh this is people are gonna think it's weird probably do you know what i mean yeah definitely there is an element of that but i think a lot of the people that I was listening to, really the message that I got from a lot of our music is kind of just be yourself and uh, kind of believe in what you can do. I mean, it's the stuff that you're probably insecure about is going to be what makes you unique or what makes you different or stand out from other people further down the line. And you just can't see that when you're kind of holed up in your room, just thinking about kind of all the ways it could go wrong, you know what I mean? But the minute you kind of start putting stuff out, you realize a lot of those fears aren't... Um, aren't actually real you know what i mean it's just anxiety talking and that sort of thing but i mean i'm kind of like to be honest with accents and stuff i kind of do think like accents accents are performative you know what i mean no one's born with an accent you know they're just they're a social performance really depending on where you come from and i i do kind of think you know if you want to put an accent on in your music fucking do it like you know what i mean who cares it's it's all music so you get german guys rapping in american accents and um making sick shit and uh guys from all over the place but you know what i mean it's it's just kind of an artistic choice this is my own artistic choice and i'm happy with it um so yeah yeah i'm kind of i got two minds in the whole thing you know what i mean yeah but, yeah that's okay. kind of where i stand on it fair enough fair enough yeah i think it's uh, for me it's it's a case of 
uh, I just don't want to hear them try to be somebody else that they already is there or establish too much that you're like, ah, no. You know, it's a tough one because like when Reggie Snow came out first and and some of his stuff was like, I'm not sure where the accent is. And then he found it. He found it. And I found it like that was better for me. Like it, it felt more, I could connect with it better than something else. Because what he was doing was early, as Lex Luthor and all very early on was was different to that as well. Um, and you could hear like there was certainly like an MF Doom influence and stuff like that on on his music, which is totally fine. Like obviously why not? Um, but I think he's now found, you know, his natural space for that. That to me feels better. But yeah, I guess it's individual as well. It doesn't really matter to, I guess thing is a bit Irish people as well. You're like, oh, he's not rapping his accent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or it's like, he's not where he says he's from or whatever it is. Yeah. So that kind but of at thing. the same time, man, if he was rapping his accent, there'd be a lot of people who'd be like, what's he rapping on an Irish accent for? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, So kind of like, I feel like people are kind of bitter with that sort of stuff. And usually it, it's fucking do nothing, did nothing cunts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sat in their bedrooms, fucking neckbeards, all that shit, just like giving you guff online, like fuck off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Reggie's got such a sick voice. I also like feel like that he got such stick from Irish people, man. Um, and especially with how young he was when everything started coming out. Like he's yeah, he's very young, like sixteen, putting out his first stuff. And like, I, man, to be honest, like I was right there with them a lot of times, and I think it was because of jealousy and envy. I mean, that was exactly what I wanted to do, and I wasn't doing it. You know what I mean? I wasn't putting shit in. I'm kind of just like in a place now where I'm like. I'm happy with what I'm doing and I don't have to be fucking, I don't have to be upset about whatever anybody else is kind of making because I'm kind of just focused on what I'm doing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And Reggie's got a sick voice, he's got some fucking sick tunes as well, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right, okay, our final choice in terms of tracks here is uh, an artist we mentioned at the start of the the show. It is from Tyler, the creator, and uh, who had an album out same day as you? He was, uh, he was bogarting you, he was dropping in. Uh, last minute to to piss you off (laughs) yeah and he had such a a rap heavy album as well he's really gone back rapping yeah he was saying he was thanking west side gun oh really making him want to to rap again which i thought was so sick because i love west side gun he's a fucking west side gun stop rapping is that he said he was gonna like stop completely did he yeah like last year he was like this is my last album definitely and i was like all right, I hope that's not true. <laughs> like, yeah, what what are those things that people say and then they're like, ah, I'm only messing. Mm. Ah, yeah, he's gone into retirement. Yeah. Like like everybody else. Um, It's a good marketing ploy. Yeah. Yeah, he's from like Buffalo, New York as well, right? Which yeah. Real, I've never, yeah, he's so sick. Yeah, it's uh, it's class. And, uh, and like, I guess for me, I discovered that like in lockdown kind of thing so it's just like it's just a only really experienced it one way you know what i mean so like it's just on headphones and stuff and uh yeah there's so much to to get in there but with tyler as well so this is this is, we're gonna play uh igor's team which is the open track from igor uh from tyler crater
obviously that was Tyler, um, Igor's team from Igor. Um, I, a pretty seminal album for him, I think, as well. Like very much, like you said, now he's kind of just released a full-on rap record. Uh, but what is it about Igor that you you uh, vibe with? I think particularly with this song, it sets such a mood. And it's not particularly like, um, it's not story heavy or anything. I think it's such a feeling song, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think I took that into a lot of the records. Um, particularly like with the opening, like with Heartbreak, even getting keen to sing uh, just before I kind of switch up on that beat. That was real, like the choice there was kind of, I wanted something that felt like, that felt urgent and it did. Not necessarily, you know what I mean? Like something that I gotta tell you. You know what I mean? It kind of maybe harks back to this, these f- friends throughout the album that are trying to kind of get in touch with me and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, what I love so much about that record is just like how, I mean, when that, that synthesizer comes in at the beginning, even like calling it yeah. Igor's theme, like it feels very cinematic throughout and, and stuff. And I thought that was like a real interesting choice. Um, I mean, the, there was a lot to be said for just like taking a step back on that record and not really rapping that much and, and kind of just letting the production shine and letting the different collaborations on that record shine. I just thought it was just so sick. Like, I mean, I, I was obsessed with that record when it came out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really like, I think even more so than uh, Flower Boy. When Flower Boy came out, I was like, whoa, now that's a real step in a fucking cool direction. And then I think Igor even was like uh even was a step further which i didn't think yeah and in terms of aesthetic and stuff and having the look you know what i mean like the the blonde wig and the suits and stuff i thought that was real sick i think that's even where the, the hair kind of was somewhat inspired somewhat inspired by uh <laughs> quarantine and not seeing anybody for about three yeah. months you know what i mean so i was doing every i have my hair every which way like so yeah. Uh, but I like that idea of having like a look for an album, you know, like it's yeah. almost like David Bowie or something, like, trying to like make it an all encompassing thing, like something that's kind of it's how it's not only is it the music, but it's how you present the music. Yeah, well, as that's well, you know, well, that's obviously something that you have done really well in terms of like visuals and videos mm-hmm. and stuff. So, I mean, that's something we haven't even touched on yet, though, where you just you are that's a craft that you're also developing at the same time as the music, you know, so. Like, you've obviously had that in you. So talk to me about that part of, of, of your, like, your creative uh, juices, you know, the visual yeah. aspect of it. Like, it's so important I, and, and you've done it yeah. so well. Thank you very much. I think if I wasn't doing music, I'd probably be doing filmmaking, to be honest. um, It's something that I've loved since it was about nine or ten. I got... My uh, my ma gave me the old video camera from the gaff when I was about nine or ten or something, and I used to every Wednesday she'd let me have a couple of friends over, and I'd rec- I remember recreating like Lord of the Rings from memory and stuff. It was like, but if you didn't have it on DVD, there was no way you could look it up. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, you know, and I do these little stupid videos and stuff, and I used to absolutely love it. And I was a bit of a dictator at the time, rather than a director. You know what I mean? It was yeah. like, <laughs> you stand there, you stand there, you be him, you be him, and uh, you know. So there was maybe that's the start of my control freakiness. But um, to be honest, like the the videos is something that I used to love to be doing. 
and uh, when I kind of really got back into it with the music because for a while I was almost like a puritan like this shouldn't need a video and you know it shouldn't um, it, it should be about the music and that sort of thing and I kind of think you know um, for so many people myself included the visual aspect of things is the first look into an artist yeah. um, and usually the first thing that I'm really interested in like a lot of the artists that I, I still look at now it's been iconic or eye-catching videos that have kind of got me sucked into them so it was something that i really wanted to make sure was like as good as it could be with the very limited funds that i had at the time you know what i mean like bubby's cream i think is the first uh video that i made that i was like whoa this is really cool you know and it was really was just like shoestring budget myself and sam mcgrath um storyboarding just like maniacs storyboarding yeah. that video within an inch of its life and i was doing a uh i managed to get like a visual media residency in the fire station after college and um, it was like it was like a graduate award and so i was learning about color grading and stuff and i would have edited the video there and color graded it there and stuff and i was like wow this, so this is how you make videos look good you know yeah so I think that was like the real bug and sometimes man it, like honestly i'm i'm that into the videos that sometimes it almost feels like the music is just the means by which that i can make another video you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like uh yeah i mean with towns dead in particular i think that's probably like my favorite thing i've done so far um on all grounds and it was such a, a heart attack at times because we sam only really agreed to do it kind of two or three weeks before the video had to be shot because right. he was he was meant to be doing his short film and the time schedule was like super super tight and all and i was getting really into vfx and we'd work with a guy on schmelly who had done a lot of the vfx work on that uh jack needham gotta shout him out because he's absolutely smashed it with the with the town's dead video so i was mad into um sleepy hollow yeah. You know that film with yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Johnny Depp? Johnny Depp Tim and uh, Nicolas Cage, the Tim yeah. Burton one. Yeah. And uh, I managed to find this like incredible hour-long breakdown of how they did the visual effects in it. Oh, yeah. And so um, that was kind of where the basic idea came. And then it's like, all right, you'll be a butler at a upper echelon kind of upper class uh garden party you get your head knocked off what happens next and you know what i mean and i guess it's kind of like if you would like a metaphor for a lot of what happens throughout the album you know what i mean there's this kind of like obviously working class at the at the whim of the upper class i suppose yeah. um to psychoanalyze it or whatever but yeah, so the whole video is like a lot of how the visual effects were done. I just had a blue morph suit up to the neck with the, with, um, you know, I had SFX kind of like decapitated neck job going on. And then my little brother was playing my body double and he had a blue morph suit mask on and then the butler costume from the bottom. And then we photo scanned uh, a prosthetic head just with an iPhone actually and made that into a 3D asset. And Jack Needham would have um, then superimposed that into all the kind of 
blue screen stuff that we had to get rid of and paint out. And yeah. that's kind of how the effects work throughout that video. But yeah, I, I fucking love filmmaking, man. I could talk all day about that as well, but like if, it just seems like I can talk all day about anything. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, talking my ears off here. I, I may talk to you again about something like that. Uh, you never know. <laughs> um, well, listen, uh, Kev, Kojak, thanks very much for, for having a chat with me and uh, good to finally have a good chat and uh, congratulations on the album and everything you've done uh, to date and uh, I hope the coming months you can get to enjoy out in the real world and the gigs, hopefully stuff like that, like the Olympia gig. Hope that all goes ahead and we're all being able to go and fucking have a good time in the middle yeah, of town, man. you know? So hopefully that'll all happen for, for us all and for yourself. And, uh, yeah, best of luck in the future, uh, in the next, in the next while. And, uh, thanks for talking to me. Cheers, man. Thanks very much. It's Cheers. been a pleasure. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.